Load the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate About the weights and make a podcast Sumo is cheating This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 29 of Weekly Weights I'm Will Berkman, with me is Alex Hayes And today we're... Hello, Alex. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, Alex is here. Today, we're talking about long-term development of powerlifters, and this probably will be one of our ramblier episodes, you think, Alex? Yeah, I'd say so. We've, it, we've covered like some of, this, some of these concepts before. Yeah, it's I think... really at length. Actually, I should probably just rattle off a few ones that I thought had... Um, few episodes I think actually had been relevant to this discussion. So nutritional periodization with Luke Tullock, um, when we're talking about things like filling out weight classes. Um, and then with Amir Fazeli, which is episode four, two. Oh yeah. So it was episode two, yeah. episode two with Amir, um, Matt Bartholomew was episode four. Four, yes. Yeah. Matt Bartholomew episode four. And also when we were talking to Greg Knuckles about, about hypertrophy, all of those, and um, in the Q and A, we spoke about some of this as well. Yeah. So we've like, this is probably one of those episodes where, where we're going to bring a whole bunch of threads together, but it'll be in parts kind of like philosophical and in parts maybe applied. But we're just going to, yeah, we're just going to touch on a whole lot of things, you know, for people who are considering themselves, I guess, powerlifting lifers, not just lifters. What do you think of that, Alex? Just take the tea away. <laughs> just take the tea away. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, Alex and I, old man wisdom, we're both combined age of over 50. So, so we have a lot experience funny that we're talking about long-term development and something that i talk to jp about all the time shout out jp there's your weekly shout out um, is how we're such babies in this sport yeah it's true like even though that we're the ones giving the advice and stuff we still haven't really done a lot yet yeah i think there's like if you were to look around the world of powerlifting there would be countless people who've been around longer and been through more and seen more and could shed a lot of light on this but i still think it's worth talking about particularly like as relates to training the things that you can do to try and keep people developing for a long time because i guess per hours in like by hours invested in the sport we've probably done a reasonable amount and even just of lifting weights you know we're both well over a decade into it so so that's a start, and we're still not good. Um, anyway, still, still no nine for nines. Yeah, still zero nine for nines. So, anyway, do as we say, not as we do. Um, speaking of JP, he has this idea that he expresses a lot um, when he's virtue signaling on social media of a life PR. Um, and what he means when he says that is this idea that the sum of your training efforts over your career should be the best performance that you could possibly achieve over your lifetime rather than the near term. Um, I mean, that's obviously an appealing like idea, but what do you think of it just broadly, Alex? It's something that is hard to buy into. It's like, oh, I'm going to compete in powerlifting and I'm not going to be good for 12 years. Yeah. It's something that's like, it's difficult to get across to people initially. But once you sort of immerse yourself in the sport and you meet people who have been in it for a long time and who have really, like, you look at them and you say, oh, like, I want to be strong like that person. And then you actually get to know that they've been competing 18 years or whatever. It sort of seems, I guess, more relevant and something that is worth doing. Sure. I think here's one of the things that I find kind of funny about that philosophy. Um, 
is although I think like it's kind of self-evident that if you get into powerlifting, unless there's like a like unless you've been told you've got a year to live, then your goal is to actually get better at powerlifting, and that's just an like that's just a process that continues because mm-hmm. pretty much nobody ever actually t- like caps out their potential. So you want to just keep getting better, and as you get better, you'll learn more things you got to do to keep getting better. Um, I don't think that, and this is probably something that will come up when we train. I don't think that that necessarily entails not being good in the near term. It probably entails acknowledging that it will take longer to be as good as you want to be than you necessarily think. And to be the best that you can be. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think that's the hard thing to sell to people is, hey, like, you're going to be way better next year, but way better next year is still not the best you can possibly be. Like, I think that's hard to sell to people, but it's not to say hey, you know, next year we're still going to be doing some bullshit drills and you're not going to be any stronger at all because we're just building a base. Like, that's not true. Correct, yeah. You know, what's true is what's true is you're going to have to continue to work and sometimes you're going to have to take steps back from where you are now to see yourself further ahead in the future, but it should still always be framed as this process of continuous improvement and the idea that, that there's not really, like, an end goal in sight. It's, it's, you know, how much further can you go? What can you learn to keep yourself going further and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's evident when someone asks one of us, I think, in the Q&A, like, what are our long-term goals for lifting? And we said, you know, we don't really know. Yeah. Because we're not really sure, like, how good we can possibly be because we haven't even really touched the surface yet. Yeah, and maybe, I don't know if it's because, like, the scale of my ambitions has fallen, but when I was, like, deadlifting to 30, 240, or, you know, when I first pulled 247 in my head, I was like, you know, shit, yeah. I want to pull 275 and then I want to pull 300 and I want to pull 325 and God knows where I'll go one day, you know? Um, Whereas now, you know, I've deadlifted 290 and a few times and I keep, you know, either dropping it or missing anything heavier. But like in my head, you know, I think it'll be great when I deadlift 300. But I'm not thinking about deadlifting 325 because 325, say, could happen in a year unlikely more likely it'll very unlikely. very unlikely but more likely it'll be two five or ten if i get there you know because it's just going to take that long so why bother setting setting my eyes on something that's long term like you set your eyes on the things that are immediately in front of you and what i have to do to get better in the very short term with the hope that i can build that into something better and i guess that's what i mean when i talk about this well, this yeah, philosophy that, in general i guess that's kind of how you sell it to someone you yeah know, if someone comes to you and says i want to squat 250 kilos and right now they squat 120 kilos you're not gonna say okay like yeah let's do it you're gonna go okay let's do like 140 first 125 (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, etc etc yeah and that's i guess that's the other thing is probably one of the benefits to having like i said having sort of had my eyes come down a little bit from the very lofty to the more immediate goals is that when you say like say you're in 120 kilo squatter that's in a hurry to squat 250 your when somebody says all right well let's start at 60 and work up to you you think fuck the distance between me and what i want to do has just gotten even greater whereas when it's like i'm trying to take the step from 120 to 125 saying all right let's start at 60 is not like fuck i'm so far from my goal it's like okay well like that's just you know like 125 still not that far off whereas 60 is a long way from 250 it's you know, 190 kilos instead of 65. Makes sense? Yeah, it's quite a long way away. Yeah, it's quite a long way yeah, away. I guess to answer your question, like long-term development for powerlifters is something that I guess everyone who does it sort of does by virtue of doing it. Like by competing in powerlifting, you are investing in the long-term because 
you're not just going to do one competition and then never do it again. Well, people do. Yeah, people do. I guess um, they wouldn't call I themselves guess, powerlifters though. Normally, that's true. I guess the I guess the aim for all powerlifters is to continue competing and to get better. Yeah, and to get better competition to competition. So progress is going to be slow, and especially slow when you've been lifting for more time. Yeah. So I guess it's like progress is like a slope you have to climb. This is just a metaphor I thought of. This is what I meant by this is going to get wafty. Alex is already like laughing into his own armpit because he knows it's going to be shit, but it's actually good. Um, it's like a slope that you climb, but it just gets steeper and steeper and steeper and harder and harder to keep climbing the slope. <laughs> now he's filming me. Yeah, um, it's the slope that gets steeper and steeper and steeper and progress gets harder and harder to come by. And initially it's easy to just keep moving uphill and it gets harder and harder, but you can still keep going until it's vertical because it's never, it's never quite going to tip back over your head or, I mean... I guess that's where the metaphor breaks down. If it tipped back over your head, that'd be you hitting your no, genetic potential. Can't get completely vertical yet. No, um, I can't remember what... The ice pick up and you're pulling yourself up the hill. Yeah, I dropped maths in year 10, so I can't actually remember what the if there's like a type of graph where it's like an exponent, it's exponential, but it never quite meets a certain inflection point. What's that called? We're getting... Asymptote. It's like an asymptote, but on its side. Anyway, um, let's move away from maths and talk about... Um, Talk about balancing short-term success with this idea of like a slow developmental ethos. Because I think what JP is talking about when he says that is the idea that you put one foot in front of the other and you do the things that are going to get you better and better and you're constantly trying to refine your technique and stuff and not sacrificing your long-term ceiling for a very short-term gain. And that that makes sense. Like if you, if you try and really drive yourself forward with really shitty fundamental technique you're probably going to either tap out early or you're going to get hurt, right? So things like working on your technique, working on your bases of strength, giving yourself adequate rest to get better so you can keep training long-term, that's all the stuff that falls under the bracket of JP's philosophy, I think. Um, how do you balance that idea of slow development and just you know brick by brick getting better with the importance of actually short-term success and getting better and keeping people motivated? Well, they're very intertwined in that long-term success is just the summation of short-term success like little short-term successes added together over Mm. time yeah so if you have the short-term goal of okay we're going to focus on this for 12 weeks and you're going to get better and then you get to that point you're better yeah and then it's the next focus and if you zoom out three years down the track and you look at all those little 12 week 16 week little short-term periods of growth and success it's going to equal something quite large. I remember I went to a seminar with, um, it was one of the old juggernaut seminars and Amir, Amir hosted it. Um, shout out Amir, by the way, I was just at Adonis Athletics Paddington doing a session with Amir who has, he's having a brief, um, CrossFit stint. So he was doing dumbbell thrusters for time. It was hilarious. But anyway, um, he hosted this juggernaut seminar and, um, Brandon Lilly was there and Brandon Lilly, um, is and it's Jim Wendler also loves talking about this but Brandon Lilly is the guy who says every meet if you go for the smallest PB available which is two and a half kilos unless you're setting world records and then it's you know less unless you're Sergei Fedosyanko yeah but unless you're Sergei it's two and a half kilos but if you competed every say you know three months each year and you went two and a half kilos better on all your lifts over a year all your lifts are 10 kilos better and five years down the track you're 50 kilos better and so on and so on and so on. And he was extrapolating that out. And when he was saying that to me at the seminar, and this was four years ago, so this was a decent 
far out. It was a long time ago. Um, I remember seeing that photo of you. Oh, I was dwarfed Next to, was by the Benny magazine. Yeah, yeah so that was really? that was a few weeks. No, 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 no. Benny and Andy Bolton. Oh, I went to a right. seminar. That was about three weeks after the Juggernaut one. I have a great photo though with me, Chad Wesley Smith, Brandon Lilly, and Mike Isratel. And they're all so much bigger than me. Like even Mike, who's pretty short, he's like five six. He just dwarfs me. But Brandon and Chad are standing at like forty five degrees to me, and they're still like three times as wide, shoulder to shoulder. It's nuts. Anyway, um. But yeah, he was saying this thing about like, you know, if you took a two and a half kilo PB every 14 weeks and that's all you had to program for, you know, you'd never break. But over five years, if you could just keep adding those things up, suddenly 50 kilos better on all your lifts. And if you're, you know, if you're benching 140 now, um, which I wasn't, but if you're benching 140 now, then you'll be benching. Yeah, not quite there. Um, But then you're benching 190, you know, and like 190 is, you know, world class, but that's, that's five years away. Um, I, I had a similar note on here as well. If you can put 10 kilos on your comp total every year for 10 years, you put 100 kilos on your total. Yeah. But if you looked at one year and you said you only put 10 kilos on your comp total, you might see that as that particular year as a failure. Yeah. But if you see it as like a piece of the long-term puzzle, then you start to think maybe it's actually a success. Yeah, absolutely. And also like this is a tangential point, but you build a lot of latent potential sometimes in training where you only realize a small PB at the competition. And again, like a good personal example for me is in, I think my total went up like two and a half to five kilos per comp, like three comps in a row in my last few competitions that I did um, under Amir's guidance um, when I was an 83 and then I did a comp at 93, but I weighed in like 86 because I forgot to eat for a few months. Um, but anyway, like my comp total was going up two and a half to five kilos each time. And I kept thinking after the comps, even though I was going like seven or eight from nine, never nine from nine in all of them, I kept thinking after the comps being like, I feel like I got a lot better than two to five kilos. And, you know, I'd look at my training and I'd be like, yeah, I'm way better, but my comps are only two and five kilos better. That's really annoying. And then I had this, um, had about a six month break from competing because I was on placement for uni. And during that time, I just did like training for fun, basically. And then very late in the piece for a laugh, called to go, like called it to just go do JP's comp in December. And I put like 30 something kilos on my total. And I hadn't actually gotten that much stronger in that time period. I'd gotten you know two and five kilos stronger or something in terms of just pure potential across all my lifts. But as it happened, that was just the comp where a lot of those previous gains were realized. And so I had a lot more latent potential than I'd seen. And so my previous comps probably looked on paper like underperformances, but it's not that I didn't get better necessarily. It's just, it wasn't quite time to let it show. Anyway, what we were saying was that like, you know, you can, you can actually build a very big thing in very small pieces and it just takes enough perspective to step back and have a look at it. And that's something um, that again, if you listen to Amir's episode, we spoke about them when he talks about sort of the idea of training being such a good metaphor for life because you like segment problems, you know? you see something as a challenge and you say, how can I break this down? What are the small bits I can do? And powerlifting is very much that process as well. If you look at yourself and say, well, I'm, you know, the incomplete lifter in these, these facets, I'm, you know, I'm undermuscled, I'm underskilled, I'm X, Y, and Z. And everybody is in some way, you know, deficient. If you can look at that and say, you know, in the next short term, I'm going to improve on this. And then the next little bit, I'm going to improve on that. You can sum up to a much better and more capable athlete and you won't, you won't necessarily see the gains tomorrow, but down the track you do. And that's part of the very satisfying thing about long-term engagement with the sport. Definitely. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, you were saying though that short-term success is basically is basically about like setting a short-term goal and going to achieve it. Um, and then that's sort of like, that's how you build that slow long-term development is basically the sequencing of short-term success. Mm-hmm. What about in the instances of lifters say who have a competition coming up that they consider important for one reason? Um, you know, whether it be nationals or just one that is of emotional importance to them, where they say like, you know, I really want to just throw everything at this. Do you think that's that's to the detriment of their long-term performance? Or do you think that's something that you can kind of build in within that? And how would you sort of frame that type of discussion? I think it depends on the context of the rest of the year. And I guess how much time you have and what competitions you have in the other months of the year. Mm. So if you do have a big comp, you may look at that particular year and say okay that's going to be my priority comp and I'm going to push a little bit harder for that one and then the subsequent comps before it or the previous comps you might take it a little bit easier and sort of ease yourself into it and sort of build on those things that are going to help you at that big comp but Mm. may not help you at those immediate comps yeah that makes some sense Um, should we just I know we were going to talk about annual planning do you want to just because we're kind of vaguely talking about it now do you want to maybe do that We'll do annual planning, then we can have like our first little break. I want to do more music this week as well to the listeners. Um, sorry if you've missed more frequent musical interludes, but I've mi- I've missed doing them. Alex is appalled. We've had, we've had no complaints about black music, Will. I've had a lot of people directing complaints to me, saying Alex is talking more and music's playing less, and I'm considering not listening. Look at all these new downloads. Yeah, actually, we're <laughs> we've been killing it ever since I stopped playing guitar. Um, all right, let's talk about annual planning because you were kind of talking about it then. Um, so I guess implicit in the idea, what annual planning is, is planning for a year. <laughs> um, annual obviously comes from the Greek word annum. I don't know if it's Greek or Latin actually, <laughs> meaning year. Um, so, so we plan for a year and the reason that annual planning might be useful is for the reasons that Alex said is if you have a competition that is of particular importance, then at least in theory, by structuring your training so that you are at your very best at that time, you'll perform best at that competition and you can most strategically use the rest of the year for development and trying to get better. And the, the most extreme example of this is the Olympics. Yeah, well, the Olympics do quadrennial planning. Yeah, so literally four-year peaking plan Yeah, for the Olympics. Yeah, which is crazy when you think about it. And that's another reason why the Olympics are so like emotionally important to... People like weightlifters um, who might not be in the Olympics long term. <laughs> Suck it. Um, <laughs> powerlifters already aren't in the Olympics to win the club. Um, but yeah, weightlifters and track and field athletes and stuff is because yeah, that those four years are, or that four yearly event is like the summation of their training, um, which is pretty crazy. But yeah, so so annual planning. Anyway, implicit is the idea that you can you can structure your training to be best um, at a given time. I mean you. I guess you've already in your answer alluded to the fact you think that's the case. Um, so do you think that is of value and do you think it's of more or less value for certain people? I think it's of greater value for a more advanced lifter because obviously the competition that they're going to have is going to be of a higher priority based on who they are mm-hmm. and what they're going to be competing for. Yeah. Um, and because they are someone who's going to progress a little bit slower based on how long they've been lifting for, it's hard to push for peak performance at multiple times per year mm. because of I guess just it's just hard to improve it's so hard yeah it's just hard to improve that much when you're already so good something so I've I actually guess, like taking the 
gas off the pedal and maybe doing <laughs> the gas of the pedal. The, the foot, foot off, the, off gas. the gas or the foot off the pedal. Yeah. Either one. Yeah. Fucking hell. Pedal off the metal, maybe. <laughs> Settle pedal off the metal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, let's carry it. Taking the foot off the pedal might be a good idea for them for two out of their three competitions that year where they're going to the comp with a goal of, you know, maybe improving something technically or just making sure they make all their lifts or whatever the case may be. Yeah, look, I I agree. Pedal gas. Yeah, pedal gas. I want to use as many car and gas analogies as i can um so competitive powerlifting is a long road um with lots of blind corners um and whoever's steering the ship or car <laughs> the coach um <laughs> so i've lost my actual thought because i'm saying so many dumb things no look i think it does have value i think it does have value for advanced people i actually also think it has a lot of value for people in the intermediate stage and the reason I think it has value for intermediates is so beginners, you basically just get better and it doesn't really matter. And then you just get better and suddenly you're better and you just train and like, yeah, exactly. Um, and so because they improve on sh- such short timescales, you don't necessarily need to plan on very long-term timescales to continue to develop them because even general work makes beginners way better. Like if you're really brand new to lifting and you just get people in and they do some bodybuilding stuff and they practice squatting here and there, like they're going to get better at squatting and you're still at the same time building their base. So their base qualities basically take their peak up a long way without you having to do any work to transfer those abilities. For advanced people, because of how taxing it is to get way, way better, um, you can't necessarily bring them to a peak all the time and bringing them to a peak is also very stressful. And so it makes sense to spend more time on development because it takes longer to develop qualities and then it takes longer to actually transfer general qualities to getting them better. So again, it makes sense that you need some annual planning to say, well, you're going to be best. You're going to be best at this time. And in the meantime, I want to put together these pieces that I think are going to sum to that better performance. And you need to communicate that to them and set goals relevant to that. And ironically, Oftentimes it's in those like sort of phases that where you've actually de-emphasized absolute performance that you see them getting better, which is like, it's just weird. I don't know if you've noticed that Alex, but sometimes you say like, oh, we're just going to, we're going to do a block where we're not really pushing you very hard, but we're going to consolidate technique. And like a lot of that latent potential they've built will shine through and they just randomly get better, which is cool. But then for, yeah, um, I, I think it's important to note that rate of progression is hard to predict with everyone. And it kind of comes in waves. Yeah. And like you may do a whole bunch of work and go into a comp and everything's improving, but then you don't improve in the comp. And then you have a shitty training cycle and then all of a sudden you hit comp PBs. Yeah, it it's doesn't always make sense. No. Um, with advanced people, it's probably more predictable, but there's still times where taking the foot off the gas actually washes away enough fatigue that somehow they're just better. Or like, you know, whatever it happens to be. But sometimes they get better anyway, even if that's even if you're not pushing them so hard. But then for intermediate people, the reason I think annual planning is really valuable is because often you get, you get intermediates who say like have developed some pretty reasonable lifting ability, but they need to put a lot of work into say building some muscle before they've fully filled out their weight class and they're better. Or you think, wow, they're pretty jacked, but like they really need to actually sort their lifting out or something. And because there are, there are usually when you get an intermediate, that's when you start to see like there's pieces of the puzzle that are most glaringly missing. Um, 
you probably need to actually spend some time working on that particular weakness and it's often it's a bit more individualized like we can generalize and say intermediates are like moderate skilled and usually need to build a lot of muscle say and that's probably true of like 60 percent of the intermediates you see but there's still there's still pretty much in every case like certain things that are just glaringly better and glaringly worse and so it makes a bit of sense to have periods of emphasis of that and particularly when you with intermediates sometimes have to trial stuff to see well do you think do you think you know whatever it is switching your deadlift stance is gonna make you better or do you know i think you need to build a whole lot of leg strength or something you need to actually give those those ideas enough time to see whether they're really they're really the keys to their long-term success and whether they're going to you know shore up a weakness or take greatest advantage of a strength because of that you actually need to have periods of emphasis of each of them and so for that reason i think annual planning's a real um a real useful exercise and for a for an example i'm going to shout out i'm actually going to shout out two of my clients one as an intermediate and one as an advanced lifter as examples um, a lifter I'd consider an intermediate is my client, Tom Clark, who is going to compete in about four weeks at city strength, um, off of about 14 weeks of training with me where we just went straight into a prep. Um, but he is, he competed at 83 at the last junior nationals and long-term or at least in the next few years, I think he should be moving up to 94s. And so we've spoken about how we're going to treat this comp as just like a general comp prep get in, see what you can do, trial a few things in training, get an idea. But then after that, he's going to do one more comp at nationals next year as an 83 and in 85, true. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to emphasize hypertrophy work and stuff and then cut him down for that comp. And then long-term, we need to push him up to 94s, right? So we've, we've sort of mapped out a vague idea of what we're going to do with his training in the meantime. And we're planning his competition schedule around that with the idea of him being better in a couple of years and just having those roadmaps. And that makes sense for him as an intermediate. I think if we're going to group them into sort of, I guess, their own segments, yeah. a beginner lifter kind of doesn't really have anything. So they need to do general muscle building work, general technical development, and all that kind of stuff. And when you get to the intermediate stage, you just mentioned this, but I'm just going to simplify it for the, for the listeners. Yeah, 100%. 30 seconds or less. 30 words or less. <laughs> I don't know if I can do it in 30 words. Well, you um, just used seven. For, for the intermediate lifter... There's 11. <laughs> yeah, that was, no, it's actually 12 now, but go on. For the intermediate lifter, there's going to then become a weakness. There's going to be something that's going to show itself that needs to be worked on. Mm. And then when you get to the advanced level, there's, they should be quite polished. And then it's more of a matter of refining the product. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, so in his instance, anyway, it makes sense. Like he's got long-term developmental needs and shorter-term developmental needs. And you balance them through planning and through emphasis and de-emphasis of competition. And then an advanced lifter, as an example, is JP, who just did nationals and his next comp that he really cares about is going to be next nationals. And he's going to do the strength fortress challenge that I don't know how he got an entry to because I think he's entered after the fact, um, but he's hosting it. So that's kind of corrupt. Um, he's going to do that at the end of the year just for fun. Yeah, I'm complaining about that for sure. Yeah, I'm going to write to Robert, tell him his love child cheated the rules. Um, so, so he's doing that at the end of the year kind of for fun which means we're not really going to peak for that competition at all. He's just going to do sort of a general training cycle and then max out for a laugh. And then he'll probably probably do some type of cobweb dusting comp early next year. Um, he asked maybe to do bench only. That might be an idea, but I think it will probably be a three lift competition, which we won't peak for fully, 
but we'll use that as like the midpoint in a strength cycle a couple of months out from nationals and then actually go into nationals with a full peak and try and bring him to his best there. And that's for the reasons that peaking him properly would take longer and we need to give more time to developing, you know, the qualities that are going to actually make him better, like his bench. It's funny that you mentioned JP being an advanced lifter. When mm-hmm. we look at like his squad, his deadlift, obviously advanced, but you look at his bench press probably like in the low low to mid-intermediate mm. stage. How does something like that then become, like how do you plan for someone who's intermediate at one and advanced at another? So again, this is a, this is a, he's a good example of somebody who periods of emphasis and de-emphasis are probably beneficial. Um, and this actually, another shout out to our own episodes is Hanny spoke a little bit about this too. But in the case of JP, obviously he's got a lot of talent at the deadlift particularly, but also the squat relative to his bench press. Um, so you would expect those two to develop more easily like at a given level of development than his bench press. And that has been the case or else his deadlift wouldn't be absolutely world-class and his bench, not that great. Um, but yeah, given the situation he's currently in, when you try and push all three lifts equally for him, then the bench almost by definition takes a backseat because the other two are so taxing. But pushing the other two is very taxing in and of itself. So I don't think 12 months of the year you can train his squat super duper hard and train his deadlift super duper hard simultaneously because eventually he'll probably burn out or get injured. And even by the end of his nationals prep, he was starting to get pretty worn out pushing both. Whereas his bench press, I think, can actually sustain harder work for longer. So in these next eight weeks leading into the Strength Fortress Challenge, his his total squat workload is a little bit reduced versus what it was in the developmental period for his nationals. His deadlift workload is pretty significantly reduced. And his bench workload is actually a little bit elevated. Um, and so that's how I'm going to deal with that basically in the short term is is let him bench more, put the other two on maintenance and just try and shore up a couple of weaknesses in them without really pushing them super hard while I work a bit harder on his bench and then just you know by virtue of necessity when the other two come back up to, I guess, like full training to push for nationals next year, his bench probably won't be as emphasized um, just relative to them. And that's... That's in the short term how I'll deal with it. But also, yeah, in terms of like programming schemes and things, you know, like longer term, you probably need less undulation for people who are less advanced and stuff like that too. Like advanced people need more peaks and troughs. But you see that in the long term too, which is what I'm talking about now. Um, yeah, Does that kind of makes sense? Cool. Yeah, cool. Quick break. Quick break. <laughs> Welcome back, episode 29, Weekly Weights. I'm Alex, this is Will, We're talking about long-term planning. That was confusing. Um, this is Will, that was Alex. Did I say I'm Will? No, you said I'm Alex, this is Will. It's confusing, it makes it sound like you're a schizophrenic who hosts a podcast, whereas really I'm the closest to a schizophrenic was, of the two of us. I was going to say I'm Alex, this is Will, and then you were supposed to start speaking. Yeah, but then you just launched straight back into we're talking about long-term development. Okay, well, we're talking about long-term development, this is Will. Um, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know what to talk about now. No, look, we were, we've were we kind of waffled a little bit, which is unusual. Um, and one of, we sort of spoke about how beginners, intermediate, and advanced lifters all have, um, all have different needs and, over, and like they develop over different time, time lengths. And then you actually gave a really succinct summary, which I'm incapable of doing, of that. Um, what types of goals 
do you set your lifters over what sorts of time frames and does that also change with their levels of advancement I guess the greatest goal is what is your total so like that kind of applies to everyone mm-hmm. um, it's hard to say what other goals outside of that really exist other than like training numbers and sort of general technique stuff which you can't really put a number on yeah like you can't you can't put a number on or your squat is 90% perfect like there's no way of sort of determining that Mm. Um, so setting goals outside of what is your total is kind of I guess arbitrary and it's kind of hard to actually define anything really yeah I think on the one hand it runs the risk of being a bit nebulous and indefinable um, because yeah, saying things like I want your technique to be better, like sweet. Um, you know, what does that mean? yeah, exactly. And like technical perfection is, is yeah, like it doesn't really exist. It's like a, it's like a perfect that you'll always strive for and never quite get to. Yeah. But it could be like this block, we're going to focus on, you know, your knees not shifting back out of the squat or something like that. Which yeah. It's not really like, it's not a number. It's. But you can concept. Yeah, but you can still define that in numerical terms. You can say, hey, look, your knees start shifting back when we squat over 180 for fives. You know, by the end of this block, I want to not be seeing those knees shifting back when we're squatting 200. And that's still like, that's still a goal. But I agree with you, like the most definable, measurable goals. And there's something to be said for smart goals. And everybody who's ever done anything ever knows what smart goals are now. Um, but there's something to be said for goals that are definable and you know, time bound and numerical. I think so that's cool. Another another way of looking at it is, I guess, using RPE or RIR. Yeah. And saying like, okay, I want you to hit a set at ninety percent, which in the last block was a nine, right? Yeah. A single at nine, right? We had ninety percent, and this block we're gonna do it at an eight or at a seven and a half or something like that. Yeah. And although that is hard to like put a number on and hard to say with exact certainty that it was a certain RPE, it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, but um, but you said that you said that those other goals, not that they don't have value, but that they're hard to define, and so there's kind of a risk in like putting your eggs in a basket where you can't really measure the basket at the end of it. How good are the mixed metaphors today, by the way? Shout out to mixed metaphors. Um, <laughs> so, but I do think at the same time, particularly in the long term, it is important to have goals that aren't just your total. Of course. For the reasons we've said before, like sometimes your total won't actually increase in line with your training efforts for a while and sometimes it'll just go gangbusters and yeah. you're a bit like, why? Yeah, I mean, um, you can put numbers on body weight. You can put numbers on, I guess, like, a set of fives at such weight or whatever mm-hmm. whatever the case is but I think even though powerlifting is such a number driven sport I also think there's some value in having some some goals or some perspectives with your clients that aren't entirely numerical and like sure you might not be able to you might not be able to measure your success in it well necessarily but like but you know talking about like habits or you know mindset or approach to training or or their enjoyment of it or things like technique or you know like if people have niggling injuries like trying to get rid of them and stuff like those are all important pieces of the puzzle that contribute to people getting better long term Mm -hmm. and I probably would never set something like hey I want you to enjoy training more as a primary goal unless somebody was like hey Will I really hate training but I'm going to continue to turn up and give you my money which so far hasn't happened but like like I might not ever I would would do that I hate training with you yeah, I can understand that. Um, I, I'd just tell you to take your money and leave. But um, but like, you know, I would probably never set that type of stuff as a primary goal, but it's still the type of thing where I'd say, hey, like, 
you know, I want to see these things from you in performance. I want to see your knees to stop shifting back at 80% like they currently do. Um, you know, at the end of it, I want to see you going at 190, but like, I also really want you to enjoy training a little bit more. So let's, let's think of some strategies to do that and work from it. And then at the end, like, just because something's not numerical doesn't mean you can't evaluate it. You can still say like, Hey, you know, this is subjective, but give me one to 10, how much you're enjoying training last block and one to 10, how much you're enjoying it now. And that's a Likert scale, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, once you've done something like that, you can still sort of get a gauge of other things I'm doing working. And I do think those have value too. I guess, I don't know. Why don't we relate that to developmental stages of lifters though? So say, say you get a beginner technically incompetent and weak because that's pretty much what a beginner is. Yep. Um, what types of goal, like what would be the, what would be a very typical goal that you would set them and over what time frame? I mean, I guess it depends on their sporting background because a lot of beginners who've never lifted but may have played sport can mm. hop straight under a bar and squat well. Well, let's like, okay, I'll give you a versus, concrete example. Versus just someone who, okay, let's, okay yeah, give me yeah let's, let's do a concrete example. It's easy. So um, Jeff walks in, Jeff's 18 years old, like actually knows vaguely how to lift. You know, he's like not great technically, but lifts safely, has a sporting background, squats 100 kilos, benches 80 kilos, deadlifts 120. It all looks fine. He has no injuries. So, but he's able to competently do that. He's just got technical deficiencies in all of them. So he, you know, he's a beginner powerlifter. He's going to do his first comp in 10 weeks time. Session one, you sit down and do some goal setting. What are the types of things you would discuss with him? And he says he wants to be good one day. So he's never done a competition before. Never. So the first goal would be actually get him to the competition. Yep. Second goal would be make all his lifts at the competition. Yep. I guess the third goal would be to improve his technique. And I'm using air quotes here because, again, we said before, it's hard to really define that, but you can visually see it. Yeah. So I guess visually see an improvement in his technique. And then from there, make sure he was stronger than he was last time. It yep. may not be a huge improvement because we may have been spending a lot of time on other things which are more important for long-term development. Mm -hmm. But again, if he gets to the comp and he makes his lifts and there is an improvement in strength anyway, then I guess that's a success, right? Yeah. Okay. So Jeff, Jeff immediately accepts all those things. <laughs> My name is Jeff. <laughs> he immediately accepts all those things. But then he says, you know, man, I'm, I'm in this for the long term. What's going to happen over the next year? Do you think having that type of discussion with him at that point is valuable? And if so, what, what would you say? Yeah, I do think that it would be valuable. And again, you would say similar things to what you said the first time. We're going to continue refining your technique. We're going to probably aim to put on some muscle. So we want to see a change in the body weight. Yeah. So we want to see the weight go up on scale. Um, and the numbers are just going to continually going up. It's hard to say when you've never seen anyone lift how much they're going to progress. So it's hard yeah. to say like, okay, you squat 100 now, you're going to squat 150. Yeah, you don't no know. That. They might squat, squat one. Yeah, they could squat 150 in like six weeks when they squat 100 sometimes as well. Yeah, you just exactly. never know, hey. Yeah. So it's hard to predict the number on the actual main lift, but then setting those smaller goals of, okay, you're going to build some muscle, you're going to put on some weight, you're going to do three competitions and you're going to improve from competition to competition. Yeah, I like, I actually agree with everything you said there, which is unsurprising because it was pretty sensible. Um, I What was I going to say? Um when oh, we're probably going to have to trim this down because you're distracted and I'm trying to think um you said something that I wanted to catch on I'm definitely going to edit this part down because I'm we are mates elevator music 
Oh, Jeff. Jeff is going to be the best lifter in the world. Jeff is weak, but he will be strong. So long as he comes and we get along. We'll teach him how to lift and it'll be great. Because we're the boys from Weekly Weights. Yeah, we're probably going to have to keep that in now. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, (laughs) All right, let's forget about it then. Shout out to Jeff. (laughs) Shout out to Jeff. You're our boy. (laughs) Um, No, I think that's really cool. One thing I would have said, this is not what I was thinking of though, is that like if a lifter comes to me and is already talking about what they want to do in a year's time, not like in a numerical sense, but says like, hey, I really want to see what I can do in a year. I'm kind of thrilled. Because a lot of people are very tentative to get involved in powerlifting um, like and commit to it long-term because they almost want to like check whether they're any good at it before they try too hard at it. Mm. And I understand that inclination, but it's almost a bit of a shame because it's like you never know if you're going to be good until you do it for long enough to get good. Mm. And there are plenty of people who start super-duper shit and end up quite good um, because, you know, like just a few of the pieces fall into line. Um, and like Liz Craven, who we had on here as an example, when she first started lifting weights, she absolutely sucked. But after not long, she was pretty great. And so had she had her very first moment of lifting weights, thought, oh, I'm just going to try this out. And if I'm not immediately good, I'll quit. Then like, you know, Australia wouldn't have their best powerlifter, which is a shame um, or would have been a shame, but she stuck around. Um, so when somebody says, yeah, like I, I want to stick with this for a year and see where I can go, even though I'm not good now, I'm like, great, that's a good mindset. Yeah. Because when somebody's a an absolute beginner you mightn't be able to say like you said hey at your first comp you're going to squat 150 but the process of actually getting in and improving and particularly when you're not good that kind of just happens the process of being involved and seeing your effort realized in results is like intoxicating for a lot of people and if you have that progress mindset of being like what can i do what can i continue to do to continue to get better and like you know my work's being rewarded and this process is like yeah is resulting in something i find valuable then like you know, that year is probably going to turn into two years and then three years and then five. Yeah, and you'll, you'll mention that when Will and I speak about this in planning with someone, when the although the goal is to lift more weight, that is not what we're trying to, um, I guess, communicate to the lifter that you're going to lift X weight yeah. or Y weight because Y weight, BG, Y weight. Yeah, shout out Brett Gibbs. 24? 26. Oh, no, we just did 26. Yeah, it's 26. Oh, whatever. We did anyway. 27 twice. That's why we're confused. Anyway, go on. What was I saying? You were saying um, you're going to lift X weight or Y weight. You don't say that. You say we're going to lift more yeah, weight. Yeah, we say we're going to lift We say we're going to lift a little bit more than last time. And we take the focus away from performing and we put the focus on the training and just improving. Yeah. And then the performing falls into place. Yeah, but um, yeah. Um, and sorry, I was going to say. Like performing is a byproduct of everything that you do in training. Yeah, and when you're brand new, I think having too much stock in performance takes away from just just working at the training itself. Yeah, and enjoying the competition as well. Yeah. Um, one thing we do talk about quite a bit with beginner lifters is the idea that they kind of like, they need to worry less about testing their maximal strength and more about just building some skill and building muscle and stuff. Um one thing that I think makes it hard to get buy-in for that though is that people tend to choose powerlifting because they actually like lifting heavy. So do you reckon it's actually feasible to just ask people to forget about that and get jacked and do bodybuilding? Like if somebody comes to you and says they want to powerlift and they love squatting, they don't love squatting for 10s beltless. Like they like trying hard and squatting like three to five heavy. So how do you frame that discussion? 
Is this for uh, intermediate or beginner? Or? Oh, just, yeah, beginner, intermediate. I mean, if they're an advanced lifter, they actually know what they're doing in training. Yeah, so. I mean, if it's a beginner, they probably, uh, sorry, if it's an intermediate, they probably know that there's going to be times where you need to push and there's times where you don't push. And mm-hmm. I guess the big thing is just communicating to them what the end goal is and that yeah. there is an end goal and that end goal is like, it's a few years away and it's not right now. Yeah. So we need to do what's going to make us better in three or five years, not what's going to make us better at the mid that we're doing in twelve weeks. Sure, but I think the reason I say like is it like is that a is that actually a reasonable question or a reasonable stance is because again like the thing that's driven people to this hobby and this is something I've been thinking about quite a lot recently is people are driven to powerlifting as a hobby because they like to lift heavy, they like to try hard when they're lifting weights. So what are the like you know can we harness that? to keep people there and keep them interested and enjoy it and can you build some of that into their training for them or do you think it's like you know do you think you sort of just chaff away the week and say like or chaff away the week like get rid of the week by saying hey no too bad like you got to just do the grunt work with boring weights to get good well I don't think you necessarily have to Mm. if they're not going to buy in and they're not going to do the boring 3x10s with no belt then that's worse than them doing something that's less efficient, right? Mm. So actually getting them to do something is better than doing not what you actually wanted them to do, right? Yeah. So I guess I guess it depends on the individual and that's such a sh- like cop-out answer. But if they are someone who can, can work hard all the time and continually improve, then why not? Mm. But at the same time, it may not be the best thing for them. So this is something we do want to do an episode at one stage on like things we've changed our mind on. And this is one that I'm slowly changing my mind on or not changing my mind. I've just become less sure of what I used to think. Um, and well, actually, sorry, before, before you continue, yeah, I do think there should always be some resemblance of the powerlifts in training. So you're never going completely away from it entirely. Like you're never going to do eight weeks of no barbell training and literally bodybuilding yeah like there's always going to be some stuff in your program that is going to be hard and that is going to resemble powerlifting so if powerlifting is what brought you to powerlifting you will always do powerlifting yeah whether it you know you may not have your belt on and you may be doing sets of eight but it's still powerlifting yeah for sure um what I, what I was saying is I'm less sure of what I used to think because I used to think basically beginners just ought to get jacked. And another thing that I used to think that was related to that was that like power building routines don't necessarily get you the best of both worlds because like strength training is one thing and hypertrophy training is another thing. And if you do too much strengthy work, you can't do as much volume as you normally would for hypertrophy. So it's a bit suboptimal. But more and more I'm thinking with, um, with my lower level intermediate lifters that kind of power building stuff is really great um provided that the heavy lifting i'm doing air quotes too um the heavy lifting is like set below a technical threshold where they do it all really well so they get technical development out of lifting still in the 70 to 80 percent range just with plenty of reps in reserve relatively easy somewhat frequently and then do a lot of bodybuilding stuff after i think that way you can kind of throw them a bone and say like hey we're going to practice the power lifts. We're going to do them under conditions that are sort of appealing-ish to you. But then, you know, the thing that's actually going to make them better long-term is putting on some muscle and developing some work capacity and stuff. So after they've done that, they're going to have to go do some lunges and push-ups and pull-ups and things like that, you know? Yeah, I think that's a great way of sort of structuring it is keeping the technical aspect there mm-hmm. and then having them work hard doing something else. So they yeah. still get to work hard and improve something less specific so it's not going to interfere with the motor patterns 
of the main lifts. Yeah. And then they do their technical main lifts perfectly or as perfectly as they can to keep that movement pattern there and to keep them sort of like thinking that they're powerlifting. Yeah. And I think, I think that does serve both purposes in that instance really well. Um, though I do also think it is really important to, while they're doing that to get their buy-in for the idea of, hey, long-term, you know, you're going to need to sometimes do stuff that's less exciting with, with your barbell training. You know, you're going to have to lift yeah. some lighter weights and do some more reps and stuff. But I think that's the type of discussion that you can sort of have gradually because I think if somebody says, comes to you and says, I love to lift heavy, and you say, great, let's lift light, it's sort of like you're not really meeting them in the middle enough. Yeah. And, and yeah. I guess the other, another way of framing it is like, if you do this boring work, not necessarily boring work, but if you do this work that's going to lay a foundation for you, you're going to get to lift even heavier than you ever thought you'd be able to later. Yeah, 100%. Like in five years' time, you're going to be able to do X and Y and Z. Yeah. You may not give them specific numbers, but like you should be setting your sights on lifting really heavy in five years, not lifting heavy now when you're not actually that good at it. Yeah, sure. But you still need to give them something now that they like or else they won't be there in five years. Yeah, just, just a little just a little bit enough enough to keep him going it's like just a tease um let's jump ahead to i wrote this down again this is one of those things i'm not entirely sure what i think of yet so strap yourself in for some rambling um so as lifters get more advanced before we go can we get a shout out to jules and eddie for complaining that the last episode was too long yeah and um um, yeah this one's gonna be even longer i think yeah Eat it, Jules. Um, so as lifters get more advanced, they need more stimulus. This is a bit like what you're asking about, JP. They need more stimulus over time to see improvement, but improvements come in smaller increments and this takes a greater toll on them physically because it's nearer like the limits of recoverability um, and also mentally just because training is much harder and it's more of a slog and you see less return. Um, so what do you think of things like you know, periods of heaps of variety, active rest periods, doing stuff for fun or having on seasons and off seasons and stuff for advanced lifters. What, at what point do you think that's valuable? And again, how do you like, how do you keep the ship sort of steered towards the powerlifting port? If you're going to give people more time off in their training when they need more of it to actually get better. I think what we spoke about earlier is emphasizing certain competitions is the first thing. Yeah. So having that one competition, every year or maybe one competition every two years um, that you're really gunning for is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And that way you can really try and emphasize everything for that 12 or 16 weeks leading to that one. And then all the time you spent before that, you might chop and change emphasis on different lifts um, one at a time or something like that. Yeah. Um, But I don't think going away from the main lifts entirely is a good idea for advanced lifters at all. So what about even just for short periods just to let them freshen up mentally so they can dive in again? Like if you said, hey, for six weeks, let's just have fun and bro out. Like if you're a properly advanced lifter, you're not going to forget how to bench press and what you forget in six weeks, you'll get back in four. You don't think there's ever a time to say, hey, let's let's have some fun, lighten up a bit, let you freshen up, make training fun again and take away the stress? I'd probably still keep all the main lifts in once a week loaded really light yeah so the stress isn't there but the movement pattern is there because i think that six weeks of not doing it and then four weeks to get it back is 10 weeks 10 wasted weeks sure but when you're an advanced lifter it might take you 52 weeks to actually get five kilos better anyway so if you're worried about it's gonna take 62 weeks then 
Sure, but if it's gonna like, but if you're really concerned that this is somebody who's close to their limits, you don't think ever just saying, "Hey, like, let's really take the foot off the pedal gas. on the gas." Foot <laughs> off the gas pedal. Yeah, um, which is at the metal. You, <laughs> you don't ever think you don't ever think saying that and just having some non-powerlifting training and active rest phases is valuable at all. It's always always keep some of the lifts in. Always keep some of the lifts in. Where it doesn't have to be like the low bar comp squat with a belt everything it might be like a couple of sets of really light squats or maybe even a couple of light squats tempo squats or something like that so yeah. the movement's always in there yeah i mean sample. like i i broadly agree philosophically um i can foresee times when when if i were to talk to a lifter and be like fuck this person's just like pretty sick of it i could foresee a time where i'd say you know what like in the longer term interest of this lifter whatever like we can spend six weeks doing other stuff and just make training fun again and they might have some things that resemble a squat and a bench and a deadlift but maybe not the competition ones like you were saying they may not i could foresee a time when that's appropriate most of the time i think they should do the competition lifts too um i think another point on that is where like if they're an advanced lifter they probably do have some wear and tear yeah so if they don't then keep them in but if they do then go away and sort of let them sort of mend a little bit while they're away from it yeah i think there's two things these are related that are like they're not bugbears of mine but they're kind of things that i think are um tell you what we'll have a quick break and we'll come back to talk about these two bugbears there's a really good teaser everybody enjoy my guitar bye bye felicia All right, we're back on Weekly Weights. I'm Will. With me is Alex. I'm glad to say that with some clarity so everybody knows. Hello. Hello. Um, so full disclosure, we had to take that break because Alex needed to go to the bathroom and he was making desperate noises at me. But we're back in action. Um, it's because I need to charge our laptop. My laptop. That's a euphemism for go to the bathroom. Um, so so anyway, we, we're back. I was saying there's, it's not a bugbear, but it's something that like I think... I don't know. To me, like, seems like a misrepresentation of what powerlifting's about. People always say that powerlifting is a grind. And based on what Alex and I are saying about, like, incremental progress and just putting in the work day in, day out, that sounds like the truth. But I think people can use that to justify potentially sort of silly or self-defeating training practices. And the idea that it's a, like, the idea that it's a grind then leads them to sort of just keep pushing when they're actually close to breaking point instead of listening to themselves and saying, Hey, like, you know, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to let myself freshen up. I'm going to do some not powerlifting. I'm going to just make training enjoyable again, whatever it happens to be before they dive back in. And I think a lot of people consider doing that type of thing as sort of like admitting defeat and therefore they don't want to do it. And I think that's really silly. And talking to Amir today, um, because I was hanging out with him. Um, he actually said something similar because obviously he's been a world record holder um, and placed at Worlds. Um, and he, at the moment, is doing his little CrossFit stuff. He loves to talk about just sort of staying in the pocket with training and always doing something, but remembering the fact that you probably got into powerlifting because you actually like going to the gym. And so I think even for advanced lifters, and particularly for advanced lifters where like they're going to have to invest a lot of themselves 
into their training to really continue to get better. Being able to recognize those times where you're running pretty close to the line and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to either choose to like really, you know, turn into the wind and make it harder and get what I want or say for the moment, I'm going to back off, let myself freshen up and come back at it because I've got to sort of give it my all to get everything I deserve back is smart. And I think, and this is something JP has said he finds, um, he finds philosophically appealing. And I know I can't say his name, Calgary Barbell. There you go. Alex is in charge of difficult names. Um, yeah, something Bryce has spoken about too, which one of my lifters brought up today is the idea of stoicism, where stoicism is you know, basically like maintaining that everything's good, maintaining a positive outlook in the face of adversity. Is that related um, to stoic? Ex- exactly stoic. Um, <laughs> good job, Alex. Um, yeah, I think like that idea of stoicism is really helpful because there will be times when training is hard, but you've actually got to be like a rational stoic. You've got to be able to say, well, like, you know, sometimes things are hard. I'm just going to stick with it and try really hard anyway. And like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to admit hardship because admitting hardship, you know, might cause me to disinvest myself from the process. You've got to do that most of the time and then still be willing to say, well, like in my long, long-term interest in doing this sport, I'm going to give myself the time it takes to continue to make it enjoyable because what's the point in doing something that you're doing utterly volitionally as a hobby if you're not going to enjoy it? And if you are getting to the point where it hurts, you're not enjoying it, and you're really beaten up, and you think pushing longer is gonna take you know take you right to the limit and either hurt you or make you want to quit, then maybe it's smart to say, hey, let's just do some shit in the interest of fun for the moment, de-emphasize this grind inverted commas of getting better, so that I can set myself up to grind a bit more for longer because grinding harder for shorter is not necessarily smarter than actually training for longer and getting better and also just enjoying your life because no one is paying you to powerlift unless you're one of a very elite few so yeah there has to be an understanding there of the sort of ebbs and flows of um difficulty in training and just even on a week-to-week session-to-session basis difficulty in sessions like you might turn up on a monday feeling great and all of a sudden things are hard And that's just part of that's just part of the process. If you hang your head and go, "Oh, I had good sleep, I ate well, it's hard," that's like that's not stoicism. That's not being stoic. Yeah, that's the time to put your stoic hat on and go, "Oh, well, fuck! Like yeah. this is unexpectedly hard, but I'm just gonna chip yeah, away and do I'm it just, anyway." I'm just gonna do it because it's gonna make me better. And yeah, it's part of the process. And yeah, that's what I signed up for. Hundred percent. Realize that if you continue to make those little steps, those good days are gonna come, and there are good days. And I think. I think it's Jamie Smith who says this, that 60% of training is just average, just meh. Yeah, no, I wrote that. 20% sucks and 20% is great. Yeah, I wrote that in a caption ages ago. And like three people have since reposted it with different numbers and it really annoys me because I... Actually, I didn't use... I say 80... I always say 80% average, 10% great, 10% shit. I, I think I did... I think I might have... No, I didn't. I was going to use like a proper normal distribution, um, which is statistically... Correct, but it's anyway, doesn't matter. I didn't though. Um, I chose not to. I did, I think I did like 60, 60, 30, 30, and added up to 120% just to see if I could catch anyone out. Um, no, look, I think those times are the times to put your stoic hat on. But if you look like if you look through a longer lens at your training and you're like, this process is no longer appealing to me, then you're no longer doing a hobby. You're literally like, it's like a jobby. Um, it's you know. And so you got to say, what am I getting out of this? And so again, like 
finding ways to make training enjoyable, recognizing the signs of mental burnout, and particularly in people who are advanced, is important. And I guess one of the reasons why we sometimes say that like beginners and intermediates should train, you know, train relatively conservatively and just look to get better and not do anything that's going to wear them into the ground is because if you burn yourself out mentally chasing the first 100 kilos that you put on your total from starting from shit to go to like, you know, barely better than mediocre. Yeah. If you burn yourself out mentally doing that, then you've got nothing left for when it gets hard. And another reason I think in in advance people having those periods of emphasis and de-emphasis is so valuable is because like you can also ride the waves of like of arousal and excitement for it because like, let's say JP again he's done 25 comps now was it 20 26 26 I think yeah he's guy's done, done yeah, 26 double, comps double, double, mate. yeah it's probably not that exciting for him to do his next local competition but every nationals means something because it's the chance to be a champion like every time you go to Worlds it means something and so you can probably afford to push training a little bit harder because mentally there's a bit more in reserve to chase something that's like a really big carrot whereas saying hey we're just going to keep the wheels turning and shore up a few weaknesses and like just you know, enjoy training and get involved in the process is probably fine when there's not there's not something as exciting for you. So when you know when the impetus is there to chase, then you can really push a bit more. That's another reason I think those periods are valuable. You know, mm-hmm. agreed. And there has to be when it comes to sort of that mental burnout. There has to, and even physical burnout. There has to be some sort of communication between lifter and coach, or if the lifter is self coached, then there has to be, I guess, a lot of self awareness. Mm. in the person um, because if you continually push and push and push when it's probably time to take a step back you're going to either get hurt or you're going to stop yeah like we, we've seen this so much with particularly juniors um, in Australia and actually I'll, I'll use an example of Josh Hancock if you I've, love I've to call him, out Josh Hancock I've called him out before but this is this is I'm just going to state some facts right he was the open squat world record holder as a junior and the junior world champion in the IPF in the 74 class. And he got there training fucking hard. Like he took sets so close to failure all the time and he built pretty bad habits doing so, but he had this sort of view in his head that he needed to work this hard to improve. And he got so, so, so far in a really, really short period of time just by working his ass off and it worked. And then he burned out, he hurt his back and he hasn't lifted. He hasn't competed since he, I think, competed in um, Australia in 2016, in April. Yeah, didn't he have a pretty rough comp that time as well? No, I think he did. He made three squats. I don't know. But still, he um, he went from like literally best in the world to not lifting in two years. Yeah, and I think that's a shame. This is... Actually, let's talk about this. This is another one of my... It's not a bugbear, but it's a misunderstanding people have. Um, lots of people say that if you train with more like intensity volume, just like total training stress, than you need for your given level of development that you set a cap on your potential, which I think is bullshit. Yeah, yeah I think it's crap. You don't set a cap on your potential um, because if you set a cap on your... Okay, the, the theory that some people put forward, this is what I think is crap is that if you do too much training for your level of advancement, then when you need to get better again, you can't do more training because you've already done too much, therefore you stall. That's crap. What um, What's in reality the case is that so long as your training continues to provide enough stimulus to, um, to cause a disruption to homeostasis, you'll continue to adapt. You're just happening to do too much. 
Um, and if you were to pull it back to a more sensible level, you would continue to advance in the short term and in the long term. So it doesn't really matter. Um, what I do think is a problem with pushing really, really hard, really, really fast is burnout, like I've said before, and injury risk. And so I think being able to say, how much do I need to do and how conservatively can I train to get those next few kilos and, you know, and where am I going to find the balance between doing training that's hard enough to be stimulative and fun um, but not so hard as to be risky or unenjoyable is important. It's, it's almost like thinking the opposite of what most people think is like most people will think like, oh, how much can I do today? Mm. And as a coach, I think what is the smallest amount of work I can give you for you to improve by 5%? Yeah. Like what is literally the least that you can do? Because it's going to be technically good. You're going to recover. You're going to be able to continue training, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is the least amount you can do to continue improving? Yeah. And I think this is like to satisfy my desire for doing things that are hard and just feel like I've smacked myself and are fun periodically, like after a competition, I'll have a period of, you know, one to, I think the longest I've ever done is eight weeks of doing things that are not powerlifting where I can just go and do stuff that's hard, like push a sled or do sprints or do, you know, AMRAPs and dumb crap like that, not in the interest of my powerlifting training. But in powerlifting training, I increasingly am starting to think along the lines of, yeah, how like just literally how much stimulus does somebody need to get better? Give them that much, not more. And Alex and I were talking about this when we were talking about this episode. Um, We both now have had a number of clients where they've gotten like, say, 10 kilos better on a lift across a training cycle. So then we've given them literally the exact same training cycle, you know, maybe plus a couple of kilos, but certainly not 10 kilos more. And then they've gotten better again because that just happens to be the amount of stimulus that is required to provoke adaptation. Mm-hmm. And just because just because lifters say, get 10 kilos better, say you, say you squatted 200 kilos, then you worked up to doing 170 for five fives and you squatted 210 kilos. That doesn't mean you need to end up squatting 180 for five fives to squat 215 or 220 it might be that getting to whatever 175 or five fives is still enough to make you better from 210 yeah you and, know and a lot of the time people think like oh what could i do for five yeah if you think like what could i do for five well how good are those five going to be first of all yeah and how much is that going to make you better like okay. what what extra gain do you get from putting 20 kilos on a set of five yeah and that's you, like you actually probably get worse yeah, I think that's definitely something I've been guilty of myself. Again, because I just actually like doing things that are hard. Like that's why I started powerlifting as well. Mm, I, is. Used, I used to be like that with um, with my top sets all the time when I used to train under RPE. Like I would see RPE triple at nine mm. and I go, okay, what, what do I think I could do for four? Like go into my head, yeah. minus one. And I would do it and it would be, I'd either miss or I'd get two or it'd be terrible. Yeah. And I just didn't improve doing that, doing it that way. Yeah, and so I think, yeah, again, it's so boring, but balancing stimulus and recovery is really important. And stimulus is not stimulus is not testing. This is when people say training isn't testing. This is what they mean is stimulus is like the amount of work you need to do that will actually provoke you getting better is often below your capacity for work to do. And they start to bump up closer to each other when you're advanced, which is one of the reasons advanced people need those periods of push and pull and need more undulation in their workouts and more space between stressing ones and stuff. But for most people, you know, if you can squat 200 for five, then probably doing 180 for fives or 170 for fives is still going to be enough to get you better, provided that you do them well and that there's some advancement as you as you actually do continue to get better. But it's about 
It's about imposing a stress and getting better, not about testing yourself week in, week out. And if you test yourself week in, week out, then yeah, you're going to stall earlier. You'll probably get injured and yeah, you'll just be under a whole lot more stress in training because training's a lot harder when you turn up thinking, fuck, if I'm not at 100% today, I'm going to get buried here. Yeah, and the other thing is mentally being able to to switch on for four sessions a week for 12 sessions into a comp and three comps a year. Yeah. If your training is really that hard and you have to you know, take two scoops of pre-workout and five nodos and you have to really turn up and get ammonia for all your sets and stuff, like how quickly are you going to burn out mentally? Like very, very, very quickly. Yeah. I do save, um, a bit like I was saying with the power, power building, just because training hard is kind of fun, I do still save some toughish stuff for accessory work for clients sometimes and sometimes I'll do things that are like time bound or like whatever it happens to be like to give people a chance to yeah do some training that's like a bit sweaty and you can turn off yeah. but I do it on the stuff where you can actually just turn off a bit and just grind through it like curls yeah oh mate elevator curls um, your first weekly weights tutorial video will definitely not be powerlifting related it's going to be me demoing elevator curls anyone who's done them knows all about them they're the best um, shout out Tom Clark and Jules who have done them and hate them or partner curls have you ever done partner curls yeah that's you the one and then you pass it no you do like a barbell have a barbell curl like I do a curl one yeah. curl pass to Will Will, do, Will does one pass it back I do two he does two I do three he does three oh, all that's the, the s- to like 15 down, back down to one that's apparently one of the classic prison workouts is like the push up thing so like if you do three the partner has to do three and so on and you just like basically go and call each other out it's like push up chicken but you can't fail first no the one i was thinking of when you said partner curls is the standard beach pump up where one of you is holding the ends of a towel and one's holding the middle and the guy holding the middle does a curl and then the guy at the end does a tricep extension oh, that's, down that's the prison that's the prison one is that a prison yeah, one as well shout out cali muscle shout out hyphy mud or whatever his pre-workout was <laughs> i was i was talking about that yesterday actually pepsi and coffee Yeah, I think so. Um, Anyway, we've gotten very off topic. But yeah, those are the Weekly Weights um, instructional videos that are coming out. If you want more Weekly Weights instructional videos, write to me on Instagram. Write to me, please, because I want Instagram's algorithms to think I'm more important. Um, Yeah. What's the next thing we're going to talk about here? Um, Oh, I don't know. Um, (laughs) We were talking about about how training needs to be enough to get stimulative. Um, Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. This was a question a client gave to me. so he says, what do you think of periods of emphasizing one lift and decreasing volume intensity on the others in order to increase the third? We've kind of spoken about this a bit. He says, are gains from these periods artificial and just attributable to decreased fatigue or will they stick around? Who asked this? This was James Dudley. Shout out, James. Shout out, James. He did well on the weekend as well. Nine from nine, another like 10 or 12 on his total. Oh, so in like 10 weeks. It was like... RPE was two. So easy. I know. Um, he's another person though. So James is a, actually a really good case study. He started with me benching 130 kilos, he's the, 132. He's, he's the anti-Berkman. Yeah, he's can't deadlift, can bench. Um, yeah, he was benching, I think 132. And then in like 12 weeks, we got him to 140. Um, and I had actually planned for him to do 135. So I, I literally trained him to bench 135. He benched 140 at not hard. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then I was like, wow, that was really good. I'm going to give him the exact same bench program and he got like plus two kilos on a couple of workouts here and there, like each cycle. I think he even started marginally lighter because I thought we had longer for this comp. And then at the very end, we had to rush ahead. So all his singles um, in his prep were really, really conservative because we had to we had to rush his prep along because he had to change competitions at the last minute. But he was doing the same weights as before. 
And then I said to him, like, let's go for 142 if you've got it. So he ended up benching 142, which was his, like, top-end third for this comp that he was underprepared for. And he did it at, like, up eight. Like, he probably could have benched, what, 147? Yeah, probably 150. It was crazy. It was so much better. And he did almost the exact same training between because that was just enough stimulus for him to get better. Um, and then I guess another point from here is, like, the aim for the next comp will be... 145. Probably... probably <laughs> five or seven and a half more even yeah. though he had five or seven and a half more maybe on the day yeah because if I tried to push him to 155 from 142 chances are he'd get worse and hit 147 anyway yeah. um, but anyway so his question though was um, does emphasizing one lift at the expense of the other two cause artificial gains and the answer is no um, the gains from those periods aren't artificial they're not attributable to decreased fatigue although having decreased fatigue from training the other two less might allow you to push it a little more so it might allow you to get the gains, but there's pretty robust evidence that with decreased training stress, you can maintain the adaptations you previously had. So say you were to get to squatting 250, um, let's just say 250 randomly, and then pull your squat training back to only 70% of the training stress that you previously had, meaning you were only doing 70% as much work, not only 70% intensity. But say you were to pull back to doing only 70% of that training stress, you would be able to maintain the same capacity that you had when you squatted 250. And the only reason you mightn't meet it or exceed it at your next meet is because of fatigue from the other two when you've reapplied it, but certainly the capability would be there. And so the gains are not artificial. And with good peaking, you should be able to see that same performance again. So I think there are times at which you could do that and it would be worth doing. But for most lifters, the amount of stress that you need to impose to keep all three lifts you know, at least ticking along a little bit is not so much that you can't train all three at once, um, you know, with the exception of very advanced lifters, maybe. So I think, I don't think it's necessarily necessary <laughs> to do that. Like, but you can, totally. I think it only really relates to the squat and the deadlift as well because they kind of interfere with muscularly and they're a bit more taxing nervous system wise yeah sure I think the bench can continue ticking along with one of the other two all yeah. the time yeah but like you might again comp to comp just because you see hey my deadlift went up 10 and my squat only went up 2 um, I need to emphasize my squat I don't think that's necessarily the case I think it's probably that your squat and deadlift might have increased like if they had similar training stress they might have increased by kind of similar amounts and you just realized more gains in the deadlift that cycle like, or at least oftentimes that's the case. And so I wouldn't be jumping to conclusions that your squat needs more work, therefore your deadlift needs less. It might be worth doing here and there, but like, you know, I don't think that, yeah, I don't think you necessarily need to spend much time pulling away from one lift for most people most of the time. Definitely agreed. And like I spoke about the ebbs and flows with performance before, and I guess the progress comes in waves as well. And it doesn't just come in waves in the total, it comes in waves in each individual lift too. Yeah. So you might run one block and you might get five kilos on your bench and then you might run the same block and get zero. And then you might run the same block again and get seven and a half. Yeah. Like it, it's not always predictable. And, you know, just because you made five kilos progress on your squat and 15 on your deadlift doesn't mean that you, you still got five kilos better on the squat. So why yeah. do you have to emphasize? Yeah, it's not like negative 10. They don't yeah, trade yeah. off against each yeah, other. Don't get greedy. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we've said so much stuff. Alex, you're the one who's good at summarizing things. So give us the, the short gist. What, what actually does long-term development mean and what are just a couple of factors people should think about? Go. 
Um, long-term development, I guess, means buying into the process of powerlifting and being in it for the long haul. So not taking the little short-term goals and elevating them just because that's what you want in the short term. It's about sort of adding up those small efforts over time to create a product in the end that's going to be something that is going to be pretty pretty strong. Um, yeah. And what was the second part of it? Uh, no, I think you pretty much said it. I don't know. You think about if what you want to add anything. Things, factors? Yeah. So said? Yeah, something like that. Okay, so I guess we've spoken about this on the podcast a billion times, but train with good technique. Yeah. Get jacked. Yeah. All right. So... <laughs> Agreed with Alex. Long-term development is just basically a summation of short-term efforts. That was a really well-said thing. Somebody should clip that for Alex. Um, yeah, long-term development is that. And long-term development also takes the ability to recognize where you currently are and the things that you have to shore up to be sort of the best powerlifter you can be, which is something, which is one of the reasons why I think having a good coach is so valuable because good coaches are great at looking at you objectively and telling you what it is that you probably need to do and change. And objectivity is great because it removes emotion. Um, so yeah, long-term development takes appraising yourself, saying what can I do to get better and what's the stepwise fashion in which I can take it. Long-term development also takes recognizing that gains that seem insignificant now can sum up to something much bigger in the long-term, which is why we call it long-term development. And the best way to continue to develop long-term is to yeah train with technique, um, train with good technique, continue to get jacked um, and continue to enjoy training. So give yourself adequate rest. Don't drive yourself into the ground push when you want to push and you know chill out when you want to chill out and just make sure that you're always having fun um i don't really think i need to say a whole lot more on that that's fine all right um in that case yeah this was weekly weights i'm will i'm alex should we improvise another weekly weights song i think the one i did when i was thinking was really good Okay, line at a time, weekly weight song. Alex gets to go first because then the onus isn't on him to rhyme. I have to respond rhyming. It's a rhyme about long-term development. This is where now, it's like whose line is it anyway, but on your podcast. All right, Alex, hit me with it. Weekly weights. No, that no, as in, that's not a line. And then you go like, train with good technique. And then I go something, something, something. And then you rhyme with technique. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do that one. I can do that one. I'm good. I'm already ready. Weekly weights. Lift with good technique. Get really jacked. Work on your physique. (laughs) (laughs) All right, it's Will and Alex. We'll talk to you next week.